Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This episode of the Love Food Podcast is brought to you by Green Mountain at Fox Run, the pioneering women's retreat to help you find peace with food, fitness, and your body. Green Mountain is excited to announce a one-time opportunity to first-time guests, an all-new Taste of Green Mountain weekend program. Participants will be introduced to key strategies to learn to eat, move, feel, and live in the moment. To hashtag BeHerNow, visit fitwoman.com forward slash love food for more information. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by award-winning dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. And welcome to episode 56 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and food peace promoter. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And are you someone that has heard your whole life that you need to follow some diet in order to be healthy? Have you heard that from maybe your family, from your doctors? your dietitians, <laughs> maybe even just from being in our world, you probably have gotten the idea, gotten the gist that we need to stay a certain size and we need to be really examining what we're eating, what we're putting in our mouth in order to stay healthy. I feel like that's just a normal way that we are coming out of this culture right now. And if you are someone who is deciding to reject diets, you may find that that's really hard to do just because it may feel so wrong, that it goes against now these instincts and it creates this kind of tension that feels uncomfortable and again, may feel like you're doing it wrong. Well, we have a letter to examine today from someone who has taken her first few steps towards intuitive eating, but some fears are coming up and some really interesting questions. You know, she's experienced... Um, a larger body um, for a while now and has associated her larger body to things like her joint pain. And so I get the chance to talk to two dietitians. Their names are Joanne and Jonah Sulman. And we um, get this chance to really dive in on these topics that I think are really important to talk about. We also get a chance to talk about should someone limit their carbohydrates or a certain food in order to manage a disease. You know, those are things that are really um, commonly talked about, especially with dietitians. And I think it can be confusing. And I hope we paint a picture that makes it a little bit more clear. So maybe clear as mud. I'm just kidding. No, I, I think it will be. Um, I hope it'll give you a sense of clarity and, you know, to let you know that sometimes things may feel awkward 
and different and wrong, but you're probably going in the right direction. So let's go ahead and hear this episode's letter. Dear Food, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm trying to follow intuitive eating, but I'm still new at this. I don't trust my body to tell me what it needs yet. I want to believe that this will work for me, but I'm so afraid that I'll continue to grow larger and larger. I'm uncomfortable at my current weight. It's hard to tie my shoes and my joints hurt all the time. I'm getting new stretch marks on my belly. I'm out of breath when I walk and just bending over puts extra pressure on my diaphragm. My doctor doesn't seem to care about my weight. I vacillate between being grateful that there's no pressure and angry that they don't seem to care. Shouldn't it mean something if my weight keeps going up? Meanwhile, my blood sugar and triglycerides are both borderline high, so the doctor says I need to eat fewer carbohydrates. I've been working at that for a few weeks, but I wonder if this would be something considered disordered eating. Obviously, I don't want to eat my way into type 2 diabetes or heart disease, but I don't know when less is enough. I've spun myself in circles about this, but I really want to figure out how to have a healthy relationship with you. I hope you can help. Regards. Confused. Before we explore this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Green Mountain at Fox Run, the pioneering women's retreat to help you find peace with food, fitness, and your body in Ludlow, Vermont. For over 40 years, Green Mountain has developed sustainable, non-diet strategies for women who struggle with weight, emotional and binge eating, and feelings of food addiction. Last year, Green Mountain opened its Women's Center for Binge and Emotional Eating, the only clinical program in the nation dedicated solely to women suffering with binge eating disorder and emotional eating. Ready to set yourself free from dieting and restrictions, untruths and fads? Visit fitwoman.com forward slash love food for more information about Green Mountain at Fox Run and the Women's Center for Binge and Emotional Eating. A life free of weight, eating and body struggles is closer than you think. Visit fitwoman.com forward slash love food for more information. Hey there, Confused. Thanks for writing. I really appreciate it. And in your letter, I am gathering three concerns or questions, and I hope I can help. One is you've expressed this fear of continued weight gain with intuitive eating. If you're new to the podcast or otherwise haven't heard of intuitive eating, that is um, finding a new way to relate with to food without dieting. It is relying on your own hunger, fullness, and satiety cues to decide how much to eat and when to eat. And it's also this unconditional permission to eat what you need and what you want in order to heal your relationship with food. It also includes um, eating for physical rather than emotional reasons. And if there are emotional reasons, you know, helping to provide a way to meet those needs without food. So by doing intuitive eating, it sounds like letter writer, you have this fear of increased weight gain. And the other thing that you mentioned in your letter is noticing a change in your mobility and saying that's because of your weight. So I think that's another thing that you're bringing up that I would like to help with. 
And the last one is something that we dietitians call medical nutrition therapy, or MNT for short. And that's when um, a person is using food to help manage their disease and to prevent the progression of it. And you said that your doctor recommended a certain way of eating carbohydrates to manage triglycerides and um, your blood sugar. So there's three big things that I would love to help you with. And in order to do that, let's call someone that can help. And actually for the first time, we're not gonna call just one person. I actually wanna call two people. There's um, Jonah and Joanne Solman, our dietitians out of Massachusetts, that would be great to help answer this question. They are dietitians that have a similar viewpoint as I do with food and weight, and I think they're going to be really helpful. So let's give them a call. Hello. Hi, Joanne. It's Julie Duffy Dillon. Is is Jonah with you? Hi. How's it going? Hi. I'm so glad you guys are able to connect with me today to help me with this letter. How are you doing? We're great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Yeah, we're super psyched to be here. Oh, good. Well, I am hoping you can help me with this letter. Did you get a chance to read it? Yes. Yes. We, we read it and we've, we've talked about it a little bit amongst ourselves. Oh, good. Well, I want to catch up with the conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, what do you feel like, what's your general impression when you read it? Like, what do you feel like is going on with this person? Well, I think when we first read it over, it, it seems like it seems like there's a there's a there's a lot going on, and I think it, I think it's totally understandable as persons having a, a lot of um, a lot of various thoughts, a, a lot of um, I don't want to say conflicting thoughts, but a lot of it seems like they're being pulled in different directions, maybe between their their past and their present, in terms of you know this person doesn't really say say anything about what they may have done in terms of their um, nutrition in the past, but just, just kind of trying to read between the lines. It seems like maybe they're, um, coming out of a diet mentality perhaps and trying to get in, into the intuitive eating. And it seems like there might be some ambivalence between those, uh, two things. And I think, I think that they do an excellent, excellent job actually, um, uh, being candid in the letter in terms of what their, uh, what their struggles are. And so I'm, I'm really glad, you know, whoever wrote this, I think it's, I think it's great that they, um, you know, we're forthcoming about what their struggles are. And I think that we maybe have some ideas that will hopefully be of, be of help. Yeah. You know, I felt the same way because I, you know, she didn't, she didn't mention what her relationship with food was like before she started intuitive eating. But yet when anyone starts intuitive eating I'm ass- and connects with it, I'm assuming that they've had a history of diets and they're at diet rock bottom and They've experienced body hate and, you know, some of those things that we often talk about on this podcast. I, I just assume that that was something that she had lived through. Um, but you mentioned that word ambivalence. You know, I think that's a an important word that we dietitians talk a lot about. But I wonder how much our listeners um, really can appreciate how important that word is. Do either one of you want to take a stab at explaining what that is and why it's so important? Um, sure. So I, I think ambivalence in the whole, you know, uh, intuitive eating realm is, you know, you've been living your life a certain way and been told and told how to think about things about weight, about food, about body. And we've been programmed since we were little, you know, in, in our families, our friends, the media, our doctors. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of messages we got from an early age. And now when someone's trying to go into intuitive eating, it's like a complete 180. I mean, it's just 
flies in the face of everything that we've been taught to believe. And so, you know, it makes sense that ambivalence is, you know, having strong feelings in opposing directions. And, you know, yes, people, when they grow up with these sort of matrix of, you know, weight loss is important and, you know, being heavy is unhealthy, um, you know, it's hard to sort of reconcile that, well, actually, the research doesn't really show that. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that, you know, people in the quote unquote, obese and overweight range uh, in the BMI chart, even though we don't really care about the BMI, but (laughs) have healthier uh, outcomes when they engage in healthy behavior. So, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's something that's very common that we see a lot in our practice, uh, that people have strong feelings in opposing directions. And it can make it really hard, because it's hard to give up that sort of fantasy of, well, if I, you know, lose the weight, I'll be healthy. You know, it's, it's really hard when everything in our society tells us that's, you know, that's how it should be. So yeah, you know, and so it sounds like by recognizing ambivalence, it's gonna help empower someone to do the best thing for them, you know, and for this person who wrote the letter, you know, she talked about vacillating between being grateful that her doctors weren't pressuring her and then pissed off that they don't care. And I'm like, that is totally this dichotomy that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think when, I, I mean, I think some people, when, when they use the word ambivalence, I mean, they, they think it's like, oh, well, they, you know, the, they don't, they don't care. It's like, it's sort of like, yeah, you're ambivalent. You don't really care. But it, it like Joanne said, it, it's actually not that it's that you, you actually do really care. You just have, you just feel like you're being pulled in different directions. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's, that's kind of what we see with the letter writer, how she starts off when she talks about how, you know, she's trying to follow intuitive eating, but she's also afraid that if she does, that she'll continue to get bigger and bigger. And, and when I read that, it's kind of like, I mean, I, I hear that a lot in our in our practice, you know, where people, especially when they're coming out of a, a diet mentality and, you know, dieting is very all or nothing, of course. And so it's like if you if you this if you decide that, you know, you're you're going to leave dieting. So you're leaving all behind or nothing, depending how you want to look at it, that that only other leaves you the other side. So all of a sudden it's like, well, if you if you're not doing all suddenly you're doing nothing. And so that that and a lot of people's minds translates to uh a loss of control and they feel like, well, it's just going to spiral, but that, that's not, of course, I mean, all, all, all of us know that's not what intuitive eating is, but I mean, I think we can definitely empathize with, with where the letter writer is, is coming from in that respect. Mm-hmm. It'll feel like it's more extreme than it is. You're, you're exactly right. It's, it's going to feel like, oh, well, I'm, you know, if, if, especially if they have an extensive history of dieting where it's, if they've, they've always gone from one diet to the next and, and all of a sudden they're, they're not going to do that anymore. I mean, that, that creates a, a real void and it's, it's totally understandable that that void would, would make them very anxious and, and they're not really quite sure what to do about it. And it, and, you know, and I think, I think it's important for this person to, to remember too, that in, intuitive eating, I mean, that it takes time. I mean, it takes a, it takes quite a while to, to rediscover those skills and to, and to redevelop those skills again. And I think it's, it's, you know, important for all of us who are going down that road to, you know, be patient with ourselves. It's going to, it's going to take some while, uh, take a little while. Yeah, you know, I remember um, getting some training from Evelyn Triboli, one of the authors, and she had mentioned that uh, just like a general, you know, expectation, if someone's no longer in the throes of an eating disorder, so they're no longer um, experiencing binge eating or any kind of disordered eating, that it takes about a year 
to move through a lot of the intuitive eating process. And again, that's super generalized. And I found that to be pretty spot on, you know, that it takes a good year to like go through some of the like major uh, process of it. But then after that, there's so much work to be done just because we live in this toxic diet culture, um, just to kind of keep a person moving forward. But, um, yeah. And so this, this letter writer, you know, she mentions this fear of weight gain and that, that kind of, um, dichotomy that we were talking about. And I find a lot of times that's a, a big stopping point for people who really are drawn to intuitive eating because it feels so scary. But I also find if people keep moving forward with their team, it doesn't last forever, for sure. It, it doesn't last too long. You know, it, if, if they keep moving forward, uh, eventually the fear is not as like debilitating. It may still be there, but it's more manageable. Um, I don't know if you guys experience anything like that. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, you know, I think that uh, for a lot of my, I, I typically work with people with eating disorders um, and, you know, in recovery. And, you know, I have, I'm thinking of one patient in particular who is really, you know, she's gotten far along enough in her recovery that she wants to start working on intuitive eating. And she says, it's like, it's almost like jumping off of a building, you know what I mean? Without like not knowing if there's a safety net or not below you. Um, it's a really scary, but exhilarating process for her. Um, and there's, you know, stumbling blocks along the way, you know, she definitely went in times of stress will find herself sort of reverting back to her, um, controlling behaviors, but, you know, she tries to remind herself this is, this is a process that takes time. And, you know, I've been working with her for now almost three years and, you know, she's just starting to get it. <laughs> you know what I mean, mm -hmm. so it really, it takes time for people and it, it, that's, it's just a process. And I think being patient is, is really important. Right. Yeah. And just know that like, this is as, as people who work with um, folks healing their relationship with food, we expect it to take time that we're not expecting it to be really quick. And if it, if someone is like, Hey, I'm, I'm getting it right away. Um, oftentimes I'm suspicious, <laughs> you know, like it's not, it's not this easy for any human, you know, it's, it's going to be tough, but I wanted to, um, to move to something that I found really interesting in this person's letter. And I found it interesting because I find a lot of folks that meet with me in my office or just people I talk to in real life, you know, they bring this up often about weight. And um, I've read a lot, a lot of your all's blog posts. And when I've read them, they've been ones that I've passed on to clients. And, you know, it kind of talks about this issue, but this person in the letter was saying that, you know, her increased weight, she basically noticed a change in her mobility. And she has said it's, it, she's basically saying it's because of her weight. And I have my own thoughts on that, but I'm wondering what you guys think about that part of her letter. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was definitely drawn to that part of the letter as well, because I've actually, I wrote something uh, about this topic recently. Um, so, you know, I think it's totally normal for someone to say, you know, to blame their weight for whatever physical problems they're having, um, especially like, you know, pains and aches and things like that. Um, but I think that, you know, we need to think about, you know, is the, is losing weight really going to solve this problem? You know, in, in the short term, it may or may not. And then as we know, you know, diets fail 95% of the time. And not only that, the people usually gain more weight than they even lost in the first place. So you might even just be making the problem worse by focusing on the weight. And there's other ways to deal with pain. You know, that that's why we have doctors. That's why we have physical therapists. Um, that's why we have 
you know, ice and Advil and things <laughs> like that. Um, you know, bodies get older, you know, we, sorry, folks, you know, <laughs> we're all going to get old someday. And, you know, you lose cartilage and you lose some mobility as you get older. That's just, that's how it goes. And everybody's so different in, you know, sort of put together in such different ways that you can't really say that losing weight's going to solve it. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, my recommendation would be what, what are some other ways that you can maybe attempt to fix these issues? You know what I mean? Like maybe strengthening certain muscles around those joints, maybe that'll help. Maybe um, choosing physical activity that feels good to your body, like swimming, something that doesn't have a lot of impact on it. Um, you know, talking to your doctor, seeing if there's options, maybe there's a surgery or maybe there's a shot or something. You know, there's other ways to tackle these issues rather than just focusing on the weight. And, you know, I think in the long run, if you're going to focus on the weight as a solution to this problem, you're actually just going to make it worse. Yeah, yeah. You bring up so many great points. You know, there's even if weight, quote unquote, cured it or focusing on weight and pursuing weight loss, quote unquote, cured it. Um, we don't have any way to make that actually happen. Like there's nothing out there that actually works to keep people's weight off. So like it even if that was a solution, there just isn't a way to get there. And, you know, I'm the thing that really pulled me toward a weight inclusive or weight neutral type of approach, um, you know, otherwise as known as health at every size approach was when I heard Linda Bacon speak and she was like, can you name one disease that fat people have that skinny people don't have? And a lot of times people mm -hmm. bring up the joint pain and, but I'm like, you know, if you line up every Duffy in my family, um, they're pretty much all string bean kind of, you know, thinner people. And almost all of them over the age of 40 have knee pain. And so I'd be like, that's a really great example because, you know, someone has joint pain, a lot of times they'll blame it on their weight or their doctor may blame it on their weight. But what does a doctor say to someone who's in a smaller body with knee pain? You know, they probably refer them to physical therapy, like you said. And so that's what I would also encourage the letter writer, like, um, you know, use other things, you know, like you mentioned, Advil and ice, <laughs> wonderful inventions. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, what else can be done? Because um, we don't know what, what the cause is in the end. We don't, we're not like, we, we're not all knowing in that way. And and then also we don't have solutions related to weight anyway. So let's find some other ones so then you can feel more comfortable in the skin you're in. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for those suggestions for sure. And I'm wondering another thing that she brought up too, which I feel like is super important and common. You guys probably hear it in your office as well. But she brings up medical nutrition therapy, right? Like disease management uh, with food and walking that tightrope of like managing a f managing f uh, diseases with your food. Um, I don't know if either of you have any thoughts on like, how can a person explore this? You know, if they're trying to monitor their blood sugar and eat differently to, you know, affect their blood sugar, you know, things like that. Yeah, that, that part of the letter um, stood out to me as well. And I, I mean, I, I, I can understand where the person's coming from. I think, I think when I read that paragraph, I was thinking like, okay, well, I can't remember. I can't remember which which uh, which author it is. It might be Ellen Satter talks about the the hierarchy of needs within nutrition. You know, and at the very bottom, it's you know you need food. Period. Like if you you need something to eat. You know, and th and that's really the basis. And then you and then you go up from there. And then medical nutrition therapy is at is at the very top. And, and medical nutrition therapy for for listeners who might not know, um, sort of like a, a loose 
uh, layman's definition might be, you know, sort of trying to how you, how you manage a medical condition through food, you know, what sort of food interventions can you do to try and take care of something? So for example, if someone has high cholesterol, there might be certain ways that they can eat to try and help their cholesterol. But before you get to that, you have to take care of those lower levels of the pyramid first. And, and intuitive eating comes, uh, comes more towards the base than it does towards the top. So, you know, something like type two diabetes, heart disease, the things that the letter writer raises, it's, it's not like she's saying like, oh, I, I just got diagnosed with celiac, you know, and she needs to cut out gluten today, or she was just diagnosed with a peanut allergy and she needs to cut out peanuts today. You know, type two diabetes, heart disease, you know, they're, they're serious conditions, of course, but they, they don't develop overnight. And so the, the, the upside of that is that it gives uh, people some time to work on things. So I would, I would encourage them to, um, to, you know, despite those, those valid fears to, to really go through the process and, and try and really develop the intuitive eating skills. And then, and then once someone has that foundation, then the medical nutrition therapy comes into play and then they can start to make choices based on, um, based on the particular, uh, disease concerns. But I mean, it, it's like they say in the letter about their, their concerned if they go ahead and say reduce their carbohydrates, is that going to be considered disordered eating? Uh, I'm not saying it is or or it isn't, but I mean I think the concern is that if someone if someone tries to skip steps and they go right to the medical nutrition therapy, it's very easy for it to come across as a, a rule, and it just becomes another diet rule um, where um, it, again the the long term prognosis there and there's just a lot more that's wrapped up in, into it that um, that probably doesn't lend itself to long-term success. Whereas if they really take the time to, to go through the intuitive eating and then get to the medical nutrition therapy, it's probably going to work out a lot better. Yeah. I, you know, and I think intuitive eating will sound to so many people as like, they're just letting themselves go because it may not feel the same kind of work, but it it's the opposite. You know, it's really this active process of trying to heal. And then I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times when people go through intuitive eating work, where where I am, they eventually they connect to some innate wisdom that makes a shift in their eating choices. And like, you know, because intuitive eating is a lot of like what feels good before, during and after eating. And for some people, you know, they may notice this like, oh, my carbs are different than they used to be. Um, but it's coming from a, a place that feels health promoting and promotes connection and not restriction. And that's kind of how I notice it happening, you know, naturally. So I like to point that out to other people too, before they get there. I'm like, it may just work itself out anyway to be like that. Or you may find that your body likes something different to manage things like blood sugar. Um, you know, and something else I want to mention too is that especially things with like blood sugar, um, there's a lot of recommendations that I'm hearing now from like medical professionals or just online that are like cutting drastically um, amounts of food out. You know, like the the amount of limitation to me, I feel like is scary because um, I notice, especially with carbohydrates, when people cut those out, that is something that lets their like physiology totally crave uh, a binge eating experience. You know, it's like a primal kind of craving. And, you know, ages ago in the first, um, I don't know, 10 years as a dietitian, I was a diabetes educator. And the one thing that I noticed is like people who are able to control their blood sugar, it wasn't this like total restriction that quote unquote worked, you know, for them, it was more of just like, um, 
a consistency and that, you know, everyone's consistency was different. Um, and so it didn't need to be this drastic kind of event. And um, a year or two ago, I got this opportunity to be on a TV show. It was called My Big Fat Fabulous Life. And the woman on there, Whitney, she got diagnosed with prediabetes. And while, um, you know, on the show, she was in my office and we were talking about it. And she kept saying that she was afraid that the next food, like high sugar food or Starbucks drink or something would would take her to diabetes. Like almost like a person was one bite away. <laughs> and I'm like, it just doesn't it doesn't work like that. Our body doesn't have that kind of simplistic thing. It's more of a gradual evolution. And so when we think in those black and white terms, it sets so many people up to binge and restrict, which will make diabetes worse. <laughs> you know, that that can do it. Um so yeah, I think that's good. that's good. Oh, I'm sorry. That's going to be so anxiety provoking yeah. for someone who actually who who feels that way, where they're just one bite away. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that's going to make it really hard for someone in those shoes to to develop intuitive eating and to and to take the time to do that. Yeah, it totally brings them back to that hierarchy from Ellen Satter, which I love that too. I'm going to make sure we put that in the show notes because you know, that just brings them down to this, the to the bottom, they're missing that bottom where they feel like this constant threat of deprivation. Um, and so a person has to work through that part first, you know, whether it's from a, a fear of dieting, or they don't have enough access to food because of finances, you know, like, we need to have a consistent access to food. And so when a person does think, oh, gosh, the next thing I eat could cause me to go into diabetes, it's, it's making it too um, extreme, it's too threatening. So then it's going to set them up to not have this kind of competent, healthy relationship with food. Um, yeah, so that's excellent. Um, do you guys have anything that you would like to add to our food peace syllabus? Um, and if you're new to the podcast, the food peace syllabus is this document that I create every season for this, the episodes, and it has books and um, blog posts, podcasts, anything that can further help cultivate a healthy relationship with food. I'm wondering if you guys have anything that you'd like to add to it. Uh, one, one of my favorite books is um, Beyond a Shadow of a Diet. And it, it's, um, it, was written for, it was written for practitioners, um, not patients, but I've actually found that a lot of patients have benefited from it uh, because it gets you know, it, it might not be the very first book that I give to somebody, and I certainly wouldn't give it to everybody. But for for people who are looking more into the, they want to learn more about the why, as a, as opposed to um, just like the how and the why. You know, who really really want to understand um, the you know why we're going about the non diet approach, why we're doing something, say like you know the the stocking technique for example which I, I know we haven't even talked about today but you know we really want to understand you know what what is what is the, the rationale for something like that you know it's a, it's a really dense book but I found that the people who go through it um, get a, get a lot out of it and so that, that's one of my favorites cool I like that one and I don't think we've had that on the food piece syllabus for either season yet. So excellent. I look forward to that. And I think, you know, so many people I work with, they are very intelligent. Like, so something like that book would be spot on because it's going to give more of the nitty gritty and the more of the why. Like we do have a method to this. It's not just this like madness of like, just right. eat whatever you want. You know, it's really, we have some solid evidence-based research and here it is. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the other thing is I, I wanted to add my own uh, sort of suggestion would be uh, the Diet Survivor's Handbook is one of the books that I definitely recommend to people. Um, I think it's really accessible. 
Um, it's something that uh, explains the principles of intuitive eating and health at every size in a way that's really um, just sort of relatable. And it's also, it has like little sort of um, lessons or little, uh, the, the chapters are really short. And I, I don't know about some of the listeners, but sometimes I get really overwhelmed when something is really long and like has really long chapters. I feel it almost feels like homework. Whereas this, <laughs> it's just like little bite-sized nuggets of <laughs> information. And I find it, it was, it's really been helpful for a lot of my patients. I agree with you about the long chapters. You know, I feel <laughs> like doing any kind of work with body image and with food, it's, it's something we have to think and like really process. And so whenever I read any of those books, um, I find myself like reading sentences over and over again. And so, yeah, if the chapters get too long, I end up getting lost and not interested anymore. So um, that's one of the things I like about the Diet Survivor's Handbook, too. So I will put that on there as well. You know, I really appreciate y'all's time. You've been really helpful. And I think you've been able to like point this letter writer into directions that we haven't explored before on the show. So I really appreciate that. Is there a way for people to um, find out more about your work? Yeah, thanks. And first of all, thanks. Thanks very much for having us. Uh, if people want to learn more about our work, who we are, what we do, how we do it, that kind of stuff, there are probably uh, two places that they can go. One is our our website, which is uh, SolmanNutrition.com. That's uh, S as in Sam, uh, SolmanNutrition.com. And the other one would be our Facebook page, which if they search Facebook for Solman Nutrition, they'll find that. We, we tend to be uh, pretty active on Facebook. And if they go to our um, website, you know, they can read our blogs and, and and everything like that. So I'd probably direct them there. Awesome. Well, I'll put that in the show notes so they don't even have to worry about the spelling. They can just oh, click perfect. on there. <laughs> yeah, no, no I'm problem. I'm so used to having to spell out my name because it's <laughs> an unusual name. <laughs> well, that, I'll make it easy for for anybody listening for sure. Well, thank you so much for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank, thank you. you. It's been great. Thank you very much. I remember when I was receiving training to become a mental health counselor in grad school, something I heard ad nauseum was trust the process. I remember having so many questions about the details, yet I kept getting reassured that if I trust the process, they'll be answered at some point. And things were never going to be linear. They were going to be um, more of a tangled mess of Christmas lights <laughs> than anything else. And in the end, it's all okay. And that's what I would say to you, letter writer. And I hope that the conversation I just had with Joanne and Jonah Sulman, I hope it helped. You know, we had three kind of things that I wanted us to talk about, you know, your fear of more weight gain and the immobility and, and also like changing your eating to manage your disease. And I think the the thing I got most out of talking to in this, talking to the Sulmans was that if you trust the process of healing, you know that, or just know rather that you'll get to the point where you'll be able to connect to the tools that you will need, you individually will need to promote health. And if we try to jump ahead and get right to restricting something or limiting something. It may not be necessary anyway, and um, it's putting the cart before the horse. So food has written you back, and I look forward, letter writer, to hearing how things are going, how the process is going, and how we can help you to make these next steps. Take care. 
Dear Confused, we are confused too. All of your life, you've been instructed to limit us in order to stay thin and healthy. But none of the diets worked. Instead, they caused weight cycling, sadness, and heartache. We are excited to know you're taking steps away from diets and towards healing. Every step may feel shaky and wrong because of your past instruction. Keep going. As you heal, you'll connect with joy, peace, and health. Love food. Do you have a complicated relationship with food and want to change? I want to help. Send your dear food letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to read about your experiences soon. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food series. Have you enjoyed the show, or would you like to give me feedback? I welcome your thoughts. Please give a review in iTunes and subscribe. This type of kindness helps the show continue. You can also tweet me at eatingpermitrd. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.